Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Cool, I think that's all I've got to share with you. So let me tell you a little bit about this series and what we're doing. Uh, this is called Twisted. And what we've been doing in this series is taking a look at verses that, from the Bible that are commonly misused, that are misquoted and kind of used to, well, if I'm being honest, to drive our own personal agendas, as it were, right? We grab and we see a verse that kind of speaks to us and speaks to what we selfishly want to do, and we go, that verse is for me. And so the first week we looked at a verse uh, where Jesus says, you can ask anything in my name and I will do it. And of course, a lot of us like that verse. And so we kind of talked about what that means. And he says, that's basically talking about prayer, what it looks like to pray and what, what God is really concerned about when we pray. And did that verse mean I could ask for anything? If you missed that, you can download the app there's a way to listen to all of our podcasts and all of our messages. You can listen to that one. The second week we looked at uh, the, the very, very popularly quoted verse by Christians and non-Christians alike that says, don't judge me or you will be judged yourself, right? We all know that one. How many of you have heard that one or said that one as a Christian? Every, how many of you had a, a non-Christian say that one to you? Does it really mean that? Does it really mean that we don't get to judge? Does it mean that Jesus took away our ability to judge between right and wrong? Listen to the podcast and find out. Next week, because I will be, I'm leading a team of 19 people to El Salvador, we leave this Thursday. I will not be here, but my pastor, one of my pastors, Gary Fowler, will be here to wrap up the series. And he's talking about uh, the, the love of money being the root of all evil and setting the record straight on what that verse actually means. And so you want to be here. Gary is a great guy. Look, Gary's one of my favorite communicators. Anytime I have an opportunity to hear Gary speak, I go and hear Gary speak. So I'm, I'm encouraging you to come. He's one of the guys that I've talked about in the past that when Gary, when I, when I have an opportunity to hang out with this guy, even if he's just making a two-hour drive to Cleveland, I will clear my schedule to go sit in the car with this guy. He's just, he oozes God's love. He is full of wisdom, and I just want to be around somebody like that. So come next week and hear Gary speak and, and talk about uh, and wrap up this series for us. And today what we're going to do is we're going to continue, and as you've already already guessed from the video that we played, we're going to be looking at Jeremiah 29, 11, because I think this is a, a really popular verse that we like to quote. We like to, to say this is our life verse. And so if you're unfamiliar with it, let me read it for you now. It says, for I know the plans I have for you. This is God speaking. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. How many of you guys have heard that verse before? How many of you guys have that verse on a coffee mug? or on a magnet, on your refrigerator? How many of you guys have it tattooed somewhere on your body, right? This is a very popular verse, okay? And what I'm gonna do today uh, is basically, uh, I'm gonna ruin this for you is what I'm gonna do because this verse doesn't exactly mean what we think it means, right? But we like to read it that way because it says, I know the plans that I have for you. So when we read words like that, we go, oh, he's talking to me. We kind of sit up a little straighter. He's talking to me, what's he saying? Especially when he starts to say something good. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Like, he's talking to me. Plans to give you, who's you? That's me. 
hope and a future. And so we grab verses like this and we say, that's for me. We get excited. But there's, there's some dangers there. And so I, I just kind of want to talk about those things today because it doesn't exactly mean what we think it means. And what I'm going to ruin, how I'm going to ruin it for you, is I'm going to bring it into the light of the context of who Jeremiah was, who he was writing that to. It's all really, really important. But don't fret before you throw away your coffee mugs and try to cover up that tattoo that you've got. Just hang in there because I'm going to try to reframe this verse, and I think you'll love it even more uh, than you did before. So let's do it. Let's take a look at it in, with, within this context and figure out how do we untwist Scripture properly. So the last few weeks, if you've been here, I'll run through these quickly, but there's a few ways that we can untwist Scripture and understand them more fully. First way is to understand the context, which I've already mentioned. Who wrote it? Who are they writing it to? What's the culture that it's being written into? What comes before the verse that we're reading? What comes after it? What does that whole chapter say? And when we look at this, we kind of get a fuller picture to understand who and what that verse means. The second way that we untwist scripture is that we use the Bible to interpret the Bible or we use other scriptures to interpret scripture. The Bible is robust and full. There are plenty of, of letters written in the Bible and they speak on all these different subjects in different ways. And so when we have a subject such as this, we want to see what else does the Bible say? What are other promises in the Bible that we can support what we are trying to build so that we, we don't build a theology off of one verse, draw it out of context, and say, hey, this is what God was saying. No, we want to look at what the rest of the Bible has to say about that subject in order to interpret correctly. The last thing we want to do is figure out how do we apply the Bible? Because the Bible is not a text to be learned, it is letters to be lived. We have to read the Bible and decide as we walk away from what we read, how do I need to be different as a result of what I've just read? What is God saying to me? What does it mean? What's my next step? It's all, it's all simple stuff. It's, it's not usually some kind of crazy thing like empty your bank account. It's usually just small little steps. And so we figure that out step by step what God is talking to us and we're going to apply it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this within context today. So Jeremiah 29, 11, uh, when you be, actually when you begin this chapter, in chapter 29, verse 1, it kind of gives us the context to see if you can pay attention and tell me who this is written to and what it's all about. It says in verse 1, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So verse 1 of chapter 29 gives us plenty of context. We understand who wrote this letter. Yeah, that's right. You can talk. It's okay. I'm asking. It's Jeremiah. Jeremiah. There you go. It's Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah wrote this letter. And he wrote this letter to a group of exiles that were living in Babylon. See, King Nebuchadnezzar had come in, and he had taken them to Babylon. He had overtaken them. Now, why did he overtake them? Well, because God had warned the Jewish people over and over and over again through prophets, his voice, in this earth. He, at that time, he was using prophets to speak to them. And he would tell them the, a message, and he would say, hey, the prophets would say, repent. You guys are living wrong. You have a responsibility to live a certain way. You have a calling to love God and not serve other gods. You've got all these responsibilities, and you're just ignoring them. And the people ignored those prophets. They didn't repent. They didn't change their ways. They continued in their lives of sin. They continued to serve other gods. They continued to set up idols and bow and worship, to th worship them. And God said, that's fine. He said, because you're doing that, I'm just going to lift my hand of blessing off your life. And I'm going to send the Babylonians in and they're going to take you over your world. 
And so what the Babylonians did was they took all the wealthiest people, the wise men, the leaders of the country, and they took them back to Babylon. They did this three times throughout the history of Jerusalem and through the history of King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonians. And so Jeremiah is writing a letter from Jerusalem because he was left behind with the poor people to those that were exiled in Babylon. And that's the context of Jeremiah 29, 11. And he told them that because of your disobedience, you will be there in exile for 70 years. Now, as we're looking at this context, as we're looking at this, at this verse in particular, we see that this is a promise. But it's really important when we look at the Bible, when we see promises or words from God, that we understand there are two different kinds of promises, okay? There are specific promises made to a specific people group. And then there are general promises that are for all of us. This verse is a specific promise given to a specific people group. It is not one of God's general promises for all of us. What does that mean? Why is that important? Why are you telling me this, Aaron? Why are you wearing plaid? Look, here's the deal. I don't even know why you're asking why I'm wearing plaid. That's none of your business, because I like it. <laughs> is this plaid? I don't know. <laughs> why is this important? Anybody ever had a promise made to you before? Somebody makes you a promise, and then they, they don't follow through on that promise. What happens? That relationship is hurt, isn't it? And you may forgive them, you give them a new opportunity. And they promise, I'll never do that again. And I promise I'll do this. And then what happens? They break that promise. They do it again. And they don't do what they said they were going to do. And over time, as those promises are continued to be broken in that relationship, you wind up not trusting them. And eventually, I believe, you'll come to a place where you don't want to be in a relationship with them at all. So I've heard this song and dance before. It's really important because of that tendency, because of our tendency to distrust when people break promises, to understand when we look at the Bible what promises are for us and what promises were made to a specific people at a specific time. This one was not made to us. This promise was made to specific people. It's hard for us though. When we read Jeremiah 29, 11, we get excited but he says he's going to prosper me. Everybody wants that. He says he's not going to let me be harmed. And he says, you, Aaron, don't you understand? This is for me. It's not for you. It's not for you. It's for the people in exile in Babylon at that time. That's who that promise was written to. When we look at everything that's in the Bible, we don't understand the difference between specific promises and general promises. What we do is make ourselves the central character of the Bible, and this is very, very dangerous because the central character of the Bible is always and always will be God, not you and I. But we have a tendency to want that. We have a tendency to want to see the Bible that way. When I was going through seminarial classes, there's two very big words that I'm going to share with you about how you can look at the Bible. There's something called exogesis and isogesis. When we exogesis God's word, we are trying to draw out the truths that are written there and understand how they apply to us. This is the proper way to read the Bible. 
isogesis is where we see ourselves in the text. We insert ourselves there. We try to read it through our filters, through our agendas, through our selfishness. And there is a danger when we isogesis this, when we look at it that way through our filters instead of drawing out the truths there. Because when we do this, we'll begin to believe that this promise, that Jeremiah 29, 11, which was promised to those exiles is for us. And why is that problematic? Because the very first time you and I go through hardship, the very first time you and I experience harm, the very first time we realize that something in our life is not prospering, we feel like God has broken his promise to us. And over time, we come to a place where we begin to feel like God is not real. God is a liar and God is not good. And let me tell you something, God is good all the time. God is real and he is truth. He is not a liar. His promises are, are true. It is a wrong belief that we subscribe to when we believe that every promise we read in the Bible is for us. When we believe things like, when we believe that Jeremiah 29 11 is for us, basically what we're doing is we're turning God into a cosmic vending machine where we put in our money and we punch the buttons and we get what we want. This is the way that you will behave. We are telling God what to do. We are telling him how to behave and how to be. Uh, that's not a God I want to be on board for because that does not make him God, that makes me God. That makes him my butler, that makes him my servant. That makes him my genie from the magic lamp that when I rub, he goes, poof, what do you want? Poof, what do you want? Poof, what do you want? How can I serve you? This is not who God is. Yes, God served us and loved us when he sent Jesus to the cross to die for our sins, but his primary function is not to serve us. It's not. It's to be glorified by us and to be served by us. Aren't you glad you came to church today? I see some of you sitting there. This is not very encouraging. Like, I come to church to be encouraged. Maybe the pastor's having a rough day. Maybe he needs a massage or a hug. Look, I want to encourage you, and I have much to encourage you with, but I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to tell you that this is meant for you. I'm not going to tell you that you also need to throw away your favorite mug that has Jeremiah 29 11 on it. I'm not going to tell you to get rid of, of the pillow that Nana cross-stitched for you when she put the verse on it for you. I'm not going to tell you to cut it up. I think we need to read a little bit deeper in here because I think there's power and there's truth in this verse for us. Jeremiah 29, 11. What came before Jeremiah 29? Jeremiah 28. Yeah, it's not a trick question. That's it. Yep, that's it. We're understanding the context. In Jeremiah 29, 11, he's writing the, ver or he's writing the letter to the exiles in Babylon. In chapter 28, we find Jeremiah in Jerusalem, and he is speaking to the people and telling them what God has told them. He said, this is the letter I'm getting ready to send. And in dramatic fashion, another prophet shows up on the scene. His name is Hananiah. And Hananiah comes in and makes a scene, walks up to Jeremiah, removes the yoke off his neck, and breaks it and says, no, this is not what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen, all John Cena style. You can't see me. Some of you don't even know what that is. It's a wrestling reference. That's fine. It's cool. And then he tells the people, he says, this is what's going to happen. He says, the people in exile are going to be there for two years, and God is going to bring them back. 
Two years, that's it. Jeremiah gets all indignant. He says, nah, that's not what's gonna happen, cuz. Matter of fact, I'm gonna prove it. Because see, back in the day, you could prove who was true and who wasn't because there would be a standoff between like the prophets. I'm thinking like epic rap battle kind of, you know what I'm saying? Like a cipher, you know what I'm saying? Like when they were finished prophesying, they were like, yeah, boy. Like that's what I imagine in my head. I have no biblical context for that, but I'm just saying. That's how I imagine it happened. And Jeremiah's like, look, dude, this is how it's gonna happen. In fact, I'm gonna prove that I'm the one telling the truth because you, Hananiah, are gonna die within the next year. And guess what? Seven months later, Hananiah died. This is why the name Jeremiah is widely popular and ain't nobody naming their kids Hananiah. Anybody know anybody named Hananiah? That's what I thought. Somebody knows somebody named Jeremiah? Right, I do. I got a brother named Jeremiah. It's popular. What Hananiah was doing was giving what I would call false good news. See, what he was saying made people excited. They wanted to hear in Jerusalem that their family members were going to be back in two years. Of course, who doesn't want to hear that? And Jeremiah was saying, hey, look, it's going to be 70 years. Who would you believe? You've got two people standing in front of you that potentially represent God. Who would you want to believe? You'd want to go with the guy that's saying two years, right? Because that's what you want. I want them back. That's your agenda. That's your filter. This is the difference between exegesis and eisegesis. The two prophets, one offered false good news, the other offered, well, good news. But it wasn't the good news that they wanted. And I think this happens too much to us today. We want easy believism. We want what's good. We want what tickles our ears. We want to believe that only good things are coming, that God is a God who rescues us from all our trials, doesn't offer us any harm, and is going to prosper us at every turn. He's got plans for us, declares the Lord, we say to ourselves. And we even speak it over ourselves. If we aren't careful, we'll be drawn to this false good news. We'll be drawn to this easy system of beliefs. Some of you hear it all the time. There are preachers out there that are declaring, especially around the beginning of the year, this is your year of abundance. This is your year that that seed will produce a harvest. This is your year where God's going to prosper you. This is your year of breakthrough. Or they say with after everything they say, they get all emotional and spectacular and go, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. It's coming. Now look, some of you all know exactly who I'm talking about, and I don't mean to discredit them. I'm not discrediting them then in any way because I believe that their hearts are pure. I believe that they hope these things for you. I believe that they hope that this is your time for breakthrough. But we have to be careful not to take God's word out of context, see it through our own lens, and make God our butlers and make him our servants, for he is not. We are drawn to this false good news I think we buy into it, and we wrongly believe that Christianity is the road to an easy life, that everything, that after Christ, after we say yes to Jesus, that it will be a life of ease and a life of comfort, that we will prosper at every turn, we'll have money, we'll have, we'll have great relationships, and that's just simply not true. Everything is not going to be great after we say yes to Jesus. God has to be the object of our desires not what he can do for us, not what he can deliver us from. The foundation of our very faith and our hope 
must be in what he's already done in his son Jesus in the completed work of the cross. Not in what he'll do for us, but what he's done for us. God is the prize. And we have to be careful that we are not seekers of this false good news. Paul, in his letters to Timothy, in, first, or in 2 Timothy 4, he says, hey, there's coming a time when people will not listen to the good news. They will have itching ears. Anybody ever had an itch before that you just can't scratch? Like maybe it's in a place that you can't reach, or maybe it's in a place that you're not supposed to reach, like, you know, like in a cast or like on a surgical wound or something like that. Have you ever had an itch like that? Come on, anybody? That, that thing just drives you crazy, doesn't it? And Paul described the people of our day, and he said in the end, day, end of times, people will have itching ears to hear false good news, to hear this prosperity gospel, to hear this, that everything's going to be fine, everything's going to be good. And the truth is that in Jesus' very invitation to us, he said, come and die Come follow me and take up your cross. This is not that everything's going to be okay. This is not that everything you put your hand to is going to prosper. This is not that you're never going to experience harm. Y'all are quiet this morning. When I preach this message, I want to be able to preach this message anywhere. The truth is, is I haven't always been able to say that about my preaching. See, I used to... I used to preach messages that were just pump you up, get you excited. And I learned. Last year when I went to El Salvador, in the middle of poverty, in the middle of brokenness, where their kids get up every day at the age of six, seven, and eight, and they go work in the coffee fields, and they do anything they can to raise a couple dollars so that they can feed themselves that week. You can't take a message of prosperity to them and tell them that that's what God is all about because they've been Christ followers for years and they still live in poverty. They're still drinking rainwater that they gather from their roofs. They're walking 30 minutes down the mountainside to bathe in a, in a crater lake out in the open public. We saw it. You can't preach that kind of message there. I tried. And they're sitting there looking at me like, are you serious? It's dangerous to take God's word out of context. Promise things to people that are not promised to them. I want to be able to preach that everywhere I go. If you, if you talk to me about my El Salvador trip and they say, what did you like? I'll tell you tons of things that I like. What didn't you like? My preaching. That's a true thing. What didn't you like? My preaching. I was so uncomfortable there because I was preaching false good news. Is he preaching false good news right now? No. We can know that because sometimes it's difficult to hear. Truth can be. How about you take a prosperity message and take it and preach it to the people in Italy right now where 290 people died this week as the result of an earthquake and tell them God has plans to prosper you and not to harm you. 290 people are dead and even more injured. Can't preach that there. Couldn't preach that in El Salvador. Be honest with you, this is kind of a Western thing. In, uh, in the USA, we preach these happy, feel-good messages where everything's supposed to be great. And this week, God is supposed to break through in your life. And God is going to do this. If you sow this seed and you do this, you put in your money and you punch in the buttons on the vending machine, God's going to do this. 
God blesses the USA. Some of you are concerned. God does bless the USA, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. But the things we pray for here, the things we believe God for here, are good parking spots at the mall at a sh- for a short line at Chipotle for a buy one, get one free at our favorite store. These are the things we pray about because God has plans to prosper us, to do us no harm, give us hope and a future. Well, I hope my future's at Chipotle with a short line today. That's what I'm gonna pray for. We hope that our, and pray that our waistlines will get smaller. And these people are hoping and praying for food that day, praying for family members to be okay in the middle of the tragedy. We have to be very careful what we preach. We have to be very careful what we believe. We cannot buy into false good news, or we'll begin to believe wrongly. Because there's going to come a time where somebody that you know is going to lose a child. There's going to be a time where some, some believer you know is going to go through divorce. It may be you. There's going to come a time when somebody you love is going to get cancer and become sick. And if you believe false good news, you're going to question your relationship with God. Is he good? Is he a liar? Is he real? Be careful what you believe. This promise was to a specific people at a specific time and not to all of us. But let me encourage you. Are you ready? Here's two promises the Bible gives us, and these are found in Scripture, and I'll share them with you now. You'll love them. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. Yay, persecution. That's a promise to all of us as Christ followers, that people will look at us and persecute us because we follow him. That's one you want to put on a T-shirt, right? Yay, persecution. Or how about this one? Philippians 1, 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. How many of you all enjoy suffering? That's one of the promises for us, that we will suffer. Some of you all have been on this journey, this 21 days of prayer and fasting with us, and you've been suffering a little bit. You've surrendered and given up. So as to grow spiritually, you understand some suffering. There, there will be more to come. They're suffering ahead. Tell married couples when they're getting ready to get married, you know, you signed on for better and worse and it will get worse. Say, Aaron, that's not very positive. Yes, it is. I'm positive it will get worse. (laughs) It's true. And the married people said, amen. It does. We don't want to put this suffering thing on our T-shirts. We don't want to get that tattooed on us. We want good news. We want to be excited. Suffering and persecution doesn't lead us to excitement. The good news is, it's not that God will save us from our trials. The good news is that he saved us from our sins. That's, that's the good news. See, the Bible says that each and every one of us have fallen short fallen short of his glory, of who he is. He is pure and holy and truth. He is just. We are just like the complete opposite of that. If you don't understand fallen short, let me kind of illustrate it this way. 
last year when we went to El Salvador, uh, there's this trapeze, and, and there's a crater lake that's kind of heated by an active volcano underneath it. It's awesome. Water's always warm. And they have this dock, and uh, so at the end of, of a day of laboring and ministering to the people, we can go down and kind of just unwind a little bit. And this trapeze, man, it swings out over the end of the dock and launches you off into the great beyond. And there were so many people before me that went out and they were flipping and flying, and having a great time, making sounds like, and loving that. And I'm, I'm looking at this bar like, huh, how do I approach this thing? What's the best way to hold on to it? Do I do this? How, how do I swing out on this thing to get maximum launch? And I'm kind of watching as the locals, they kind of pull back and they jump and they give a little swing. And it swings them out far. Then they release and fly. I'm getting ready to be a bird. I'm going to soar. So I grabbed onto that bar and I backed up. And I took a jump. And like I said, they swung out far past the end of the dock. And this was me. I took a jump and I swung and I just fell right off the edge. I fell short. See what I did there? I fell short of what everybody else was able to do. My technique was horrible. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to do it. I tried my best. But I didn't look like the rest of the guys who were out there swinging and having a great time. When I fell, it was like, whoa, like that. What in a woohoo? There was nothing to it. It scared me. It hurt. And the Bible says that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. That each one of us, the best that we can do, our righteousness, he calls it, or our best attempt at right living is filthy rags. I don't even have time to go into what filthy rags means, but it's no good. And the good news is, not that God came to save us from our trials, but that he came to save us from our sins because, see, our sin, our falling short, is so offensive to a pure and holy God that there is a gap between us that we could not breach ourselves. But God is so good that he sent his son Jesus to leave heaven, be born of a virgin here on this earth, walk this earth as a man, living a perfect and sinless life, choosing to lay his life down for us, a man with no sin dying for the rest of the sinful world. And he submitted and yielded himself to a brutal death on a cross. And when he rose from the dead, he did something for us that we could not accomplish on our own. He forgave us. With his blood that was shed, he formed a covenant that could not be broken with us, that if we would call out to him, he would take us and make us his children. He would forgive us. He would give us eternity in heaven with him. See, that's the good news. See, you and I are not made for this world. This time here is in preparation for eternity because think about the expanse of eternity in comparison to the time that you and I live here. It is just a blip on the radar of our lives. It is like James describes in the Bible. Our life is just a vapor here and gone. But eternity, that's forever. That's forever. And if we get confused, if we get mixed up, 
will buy into false good news that speaks to this world here and now and the trials that we are experiencing here and now. And we'll want a God to relieve us of those issues. Instead of focusing on what eternity is going to be like and what he's already done for us. It's perspective. It is all about perspective at that point. This is the good news. Not that God exists to, to save us from our trials. We serve a God who is better than that. We serve a God who's good enough to leave us in the middle of our trials. Because he has a plan and a purpose to allow those trials to form us and shape us. Shape us into what? Into the image of Christ. Jesus suffered. Jesus was persecuted. It made him who he was. Those challenges that we experience make us who we are. And that's what being a Christ follower is all about. We follow him. We become like him. We live like him. The gospel is not that we have an easy life. The gospel is full of blessings because of Jesus. That's the good news there. It's not that we get stuff. It's not that we get that raise. It's not that we get the girl. It's not that we have the best car. It's that he died for us. Our highest calling and purpose in life should be a life that is lived in response to his love that he demonstrated for us in Christ. And our only reasonable response is to love him and serve him for the rest of our lives. To become like Jesus. I realize that this message is not very popular. I realize that it doesn't feel good to hear this. The invitation to come and die never is. I understand that if you read this description as you were browsing Amazon for a product, you would not be compelled to click add to cart and buy in. I get it. It's a tough sell. But this is the best news. I know that it feels good when scripture is all about us, but it's right when it's all about him. That's good. Somebody should write that down. I'm just saying. So as we continue through this, as we look at it, the exiles during Jeremiah's time, they wanted good news. That's why they bought into what Hananiah had to say. They would have loved to have heard that this was going to be over in two years. And in Jeremiah 29.10, the verse just before, verse 11, Jeremiah sets the record straight. He says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Right before he says, I have plans to prosper you and not harm you. I have a plan to bring you back, to fulfill my good promise. Who did we say that this letter was written to? Jeremiah 29. To the elders in exile, right? In Babylon. We have to assume that the elders are elderly. They're probably elderly, and they're reading this letter, this good news from Jeremiah, realizing that in their elderly state that 70 years from now means they will never see this happen. That even this promise that they are reading would be for their people, not for them directly. And they had to realize that though this is not for us now, we are not made for this earth. That this promise would be delivered in eternity. Plans to prosper you. Plans to bring you no harm. In heaven, we see that. I mean, no more crying and shedding of tears. No more sickness. No more 
disease in heaven. The elders would have understood this is for eternity, not for now. That I'm going to die here. That 70 years from now, God will do this. God had plans to prosper them and give them hope in a future, but it was with him in heaven. But we want prosperity now, though, don't we? We don't want to wait on heaven. We're impatient. God, prosper me now. God, bring me no harm now. And God, give me a car with butt warmers, because I want that. The winter's coming, don't you know? <laughs> That's my favorite thing to do to people, by the way, when they get in my car, because I have those. Like right in the middle of the summertime, before they get in, turn them on, and they sit down. We're driving for 20 minutes. Like, Why is it so hot in here? I got the butt warmer on. They don't know it. Anyway, I don't know why I told you that. It's not even in my notes. So here we go. I didn't say it first service either. Jeremiah 29, 11, He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And now that you understand this, the context of this, and you understand who this was written to, if you ever hear anybody quote this to you, what I want you to do is pull out your sermon notes and hit them over the head and call them a heretic, Okay. No, don't do that. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Some of you are like, is he serious? I mean, I'll do it, but is he serious? No, don't do that. I'm just kidding. Look, just because this isn't to us doesn't mean that there's not truth in it for us. I'm going to say that again. Just because this promise wasn't written to us, because it was written to the exiles, doesn't mean that there's not truth in it for us. Because does God have plans to prosper us? Absolutely. First of all, let's stick with that God has plans. The Bible says that anything and everything that happens to believers is part of his plan and his purpose. That means the good and the bad. He will use it to work out his plan for your life. God has a plan for you. Everything bad that's happened to you, the mess that you've made of your life, he will take and make it your message. That's how good God is. That's his plan for you is to redeem whatever you have done with your life up until this point and use it for his plan and his purpose for you, to bless you. Does he plan to prosper you? Absolutely. But some people think of this only within the context of wealth. They think, well, because he has a plan to prosper me, that means he's going to give me money. And that's simply not true. I don't think that God wants everybody wealthy. I think that if everybody were wealthy, there'd be a lot of people in hot water. I don't think everybody's meant to be wealthy. Some of you don't have the financial discipline in your life to handle wealth. Did he say it? I said it. Some of you would make a mess of your life with wealth. But I believe God has a plan to prosper you, prosper your relationships, prosper you spiritually, to prosper you in a lot of different ways. Of course he has plans to prosper you. Does he have plans to keep you, keep you from harm? Absolutely. Look, I, I, here's what I do. Every time I'm in a car in traffic, how many of you guys enjoy traffic? Nobody. Do you know who enjoys traffic? This guy. Here's why. Anytime I'm stuck in traffic, as frustrating as it can be, because I expected to get from point A to point B in a certain time frame, I stop and I thank God. You know what, I don't know what's going on down the road, but you probably kept me from getting in an accident because you slowed me down with some traffic. So you don't know what God's keeping you from. 
You don't know how many diseases that you've been kept from. You don't know how many things that he has saved you from. Just because you didn't taste of it doesn't mean he didn't keep it from you. I can be thankful for the things that I face because, man, there must be a reason I'm in the middle of this. My Bible tells me that there's purpose in, for everything. This sucks, but I'm here, and I can be thankful for it. It's weird, isn't it? It's weird, but this is what God offers. That's a good promise. Because honestly, we'll face cancer. But when we face cancer, there can be hope. There are people that will face divorce, but there still can be purpose and plans. We can lose someone, and guess what? God is still good. Though this verse isn't to us, it doesn't mean that it isn't for us. Embrace it. And I would say this, that if you're reading this, if you've read Jeremiah 29, 11 all your life and you've declared that over your life, look, maybe you should read to the next verses. 12 through 14. Though this letter was written to the exiles, we can actually claim 12 through 14 for ourselves. Whereas we cannot with verse 11. Here's why. Because what 12 and 14 says, God repeats to us over and over and over and over again throughout his word. In the Old and the New Testament, here it is. And this is what we can put on a t-shirt. This is what we can get excited about. This is what we should be tattooing and putting on our mugs. This. Verse 12. God says, then you will call on me and come, to, or come and pray to me and I will listen to you. I don't know about you, but sometimes just having somebody listen to me helps. But the God who created the universe says, if you just talk to me, you have my full attention. That's good news. If you call on me, you've got my ear. This he promises to us. Read, keep, let's keep reading. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. The real message of this isn't that God will rescue us from all of our trials, that life is supposed to be easy. It's that God is good. That's the message of this whole entire chapter, is that God is good, that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. God is not concerned about the trial that you're facing now. He is more concerned about your eternity he is more concerned about how you will arrive there. He's more concerned about your tomorrow than he is your today. He is God. Our faith cannot be based on what God will do for us. It must be based on what he's done, completed already in the work on the cross of Christ. It must be based on that. That's why we respond to God, by giving him our whole life, because he is good. Some time ago, years ago, I grew up in church. In fact, I grew up with some of you in this room. I have some of my friends here on the front row this morning. I went to school with these guys. I worked with a young lady over here. I grew up with you. You knew me. You saw me. I followed Christ. And then there came a point in time in my life where I was offended in my heart. And I walked away from all of it. And I entangled myself in anything that I wanted to, whatever my heart desired. I was far from God. And I had spent seven plus years walking away from him in the wrong direction. And I remember sitting with my, with my friend Scott, who's our student ministries director here. And I remember sitting with him on my parents' back porch. 
and telling him, I feel so far from God. I don't hear his voice. I don't feel close to him. I know all his promises. I know that he loves me, but I'm so far away. I've been walking in the opposite direction. And Scott said to me, he said, Aaron, he said, I know this might be weird. He said, but when's the last time you felt God? I said, I, I was praying. And he said, and what were you doing? I said, I said, I was kneeling. He said, I know this sounds weird. He said, but will you kneel with me and pray now? And on my parents' back porch, we knelt and we prayed. And it was a moment that changed the trajectory of my life forever. See, I had run far from God for seven years plus in the wrong direction. And the moment I called on him, the moment I turned around, he was right there behind me. He wasn't seven years distance back. He was right there waiting for me truth is he had never left me he'd never forsaken me that's how good he is that even when I was walking the other way he was walking right behind me this is the good news this is when you call on me I will hear you and that day God came running to me no matter what your situation today no matter where you find yourself whether you would say, Aaron, I'm a Christ follower, or you would say, Aaron, I haven't, I've never said yes to Jesus. I've never made him Lord of my life today. Whatever your situation, you can call on him, and he will answer. Let's pray. Father, I just, I thank you for your work. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth that though we may look at it and feel like it's inconvenient, Though we may look at it and say, that's a tough pill to swallow, Aaron. Though we may say, you know, I, I, really, I really want just good news. I really just want the happy stuff. I want to be told it's going to be all better. I don't want to go through this trial. Though, though we may feel that way, though those things may stink, Lord, I pray that your, your word would work in us and make us fully mature. Fully mature spiritually, Lord, that we would reject false good news and we would accept what is the good news? And that good news is that you saved us from our sins, that you have prepared us for eternity with you, that this life is just a blip on the radar of what is to come. Lord, I pray that you would continue to do this work in us even after this day. As we continue to pray, if you're here today and you'd say, you know, I'm following Christ, but I'm facing something tough facing something difficult financially, relationally. Maybe you're facing depression or addiction in this room. Maybe there's some career issues or whatever you may find yourself in, whatever trial you may currently be facing. Maybe it's an issue with your kids or a loved one or fiance. And you'd say, Aaron, you know, I'm, I want to hope that God will deliver me. I, wanna, I want to have God meet that need in my life, but more than that, what I want is to be made into the image of Christ as I walk through this. That I want to experience the peace that God promises us in the middle of those trials. That I want to know the joy that comes from the hope of eternity with Him. That I don't want to be lost in focusing on the temporal right now, though it hurts, and I'm not trying to take that from you today, 
though it hurts, you can know his peace. If that's you and you're here today and you say, Aaron, I need some of that. I need some of that good news. Though God may not relieve me from my trials and my troubles, I know that he is with me and I need that. If you'd like me to pray for you, would you just shoot your hand up? Just slip your hand up. That's me. Yeah, there's hands all over this room. You're not alone. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Father, I just lift these up to you. God, I pray, Lord, that you would give them hope. Let hope rise in them today. Let your peace settle their hearts and their minds because our minds, Lord, we're so distracted by our circumstances. We're so distracted by the pain that we forget to remember our hope that is in you, to remember what you've done for us already. Lord, help us to refocus. Help us to gain perspective. And let peace flow from that position that you will never forsake us and you are always with us, that you have plans for whatever it is we are going through to use it for your plans and your purposes, Lord, to give you glory and to give you honor. May we find peace and hope and joy that the world knows nothing about through that. Give us the patience we need, Lord, to wait on you. As I continue to pray, if you're here today and you'd say, Aaron, I'm not a Christ follower. I'm far from God. Maybe I walked with him at some point in time and and I've walked away. I'm just like you, Aaron. I, I know what you're talking about. Or maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never made him Lord of your life. If you're here in this room today under the sound of my voice or listening through the podcast or watching live on Periscope right now, I want you to know that God's word is true. When you call on him, he will answer you. Everything will be different as a result. Today, if you want to say yes to heaven and no to hell, if you want to say yes to Jesus being Lord of your life, if you want to say yes to forgiveness, yes to new beginnings, yes to a relationship with God, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you want to be counted on that prayer, just let me know by slipping up your hand. Do that now. Say, Aaron, that's me. Do that now. Pray for me. Include me in on that prayer. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. You can put your hands down. Thank you. If you're watching by the pod, or listening by the podcast or through Periscope, if you'll join us in this prayer, I believe that God will meet you where you're at. He's not limited to the space in this room. The Bible says in him we live and move and breathe and have our being. He is everywhere. He can meet you wherever you're at right now. Pray with us. Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe you came to this earth, born of a virgin, that you lived a sinless life, You willingly gave your life to be murdered on a cross. And that when you rose from the dead, you gave me the ability to be forgiven, to have a brand new start. So Jesus, forgive me. Give me a new start. Show me how to live for you. Give me your Holy Spirit to teach me how to follow you. And I'll spend every day following. I'll say yes to where you lead me. You'll be in charge. Jesus, I give you my life because you gave me yours. Amen.